This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and today I'm joined by Roxy Klein. Uh, Roxy, if you don't know, has this awesome newsletter report that she sends out to everybody. Uh, I'm going to have her at some point tell a little bit about what that is. Uh, She is a broker at Progressive Real uh, Real Estate Partners in uh, California. I'm excited for her to be here. Welcome to the show, Roxy. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. So I mentioned the newsletter because that's how I found out about you. So it works, Roxy. So so marketing (laughs) works. Um, Because I I somehow got on your newsletter list. Because um, of your awesome podcast, Chris. <laughs> Stop. But uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about who you are and what you do? But I am uh, moved up to be the vice president of retail and leasing sales at Progressive Real Estate Partners. And I focus primarily on the Inland Empire, which is the Riverside County and San Bernardino County of the Inland Empire of Southern California. Uh, cool markets to work in. Uh, how is so you've started seven years ago and so you've had you had a little bit you it sounds like you were just getting your feet wet and then all of a sudden COVID came. Yes, yes. And that's actually the story that I'm gonna tell in regards to a, the deal that um, dra- that dramatically got modified because of COVID. So save it, we'll get there. Okay. Uh, but so what did you do before? You were in real estate or in commercial real estate? For the bulk of my adult life from the year, years of 18 to 36, my family and I, we had a candy manufacturing company and we manufactured novelty candy products. And it got started from uh, an idea I had my senior year of high school, which was to turn sand art into candy. And I, I mentioned that idea to my parents. They said, hey, that's a great idea. Let's do it. So we did that and I did that for a long time. And uh, after doing that for a long time, I I decided that I wanted to do something new. So I spent about a year and a half finding myself. And um, um, in that finding myself, I did photography, I did promotional products, I did printing and um, specifically for photography, I did dog photography. And ironically, I was at an event and I was next to a nice lady who was a groomer who also was a commercial real estate broker. And we started chatting and um, I've actually had my broker's license since I was 20 years old. So I've had my broker's license for over 25 years. And she said, would you like to learn commercial real estate? And I said, that sounds like fun. Let's give it a go. So that's how I I got introduced to commercial real estate. Candy manufacturing sounds so much more fun than real estate, though. I mean, (laughs) it was, it was. I got to invent new candy products and travel around the country and and sell them and market them. But I think everything, though, has its time. And and that's the nice thing is a lot of the assets that, I obtained in regards to sales and marketing, I have been able to implement into my commercial real estate career. That's incredible. 
Yeah, because if you ask me, like, would I rather be someone who was like, uh, uh, yeah, I was able to find that cool development deal and I bought it, or would I rather be the person who invented Reese's Pieces? I'd much rather be the one who invented Reese's Pieces. Uh, so, oh, very cool. You just gave me a good lead in. You said there was a lot of things that you had skills that you had built from your candy manufacturing days that actually translated well to commercial real estate. And so talk about that. Sure. So just basic cold calling. I remember when I first started out in the candy industry, of, you know, was cold calling and just to get over that fear of picking up the phone and having people say no to you. So I was able to get over that fear at a very young age. Um, I did a lot of trade shows while I was in the candy business, and that really exposed me to be able to think on my feet and sell on my feet and uh, be able to ascertain why someone should do something. And I, I know that, you know, buying a $10 million piece of property versus buying $5,000 worth of candy is dramatically different. But at the same time, the, the components and, and getting the buyer into the mindset and comfortable with you are, are very similar, in my opinion. I love that. Uh, unbelievable. So if you, if you go back, just to give us some insights, because I'm genuinely curious, who, who is buying $5,000? Who were you selling that to back in the day? Who were you cold calling? Sure. Uh, the bulk of our customers were schools and cities. So regarding schools, I would speak to the president of the PTA and the principal of the school. And for cities, I would traditionally speak to the person in charge of the parks and rec division. And they were buying candy for different events and stuff? Correct. Mostly carnivals, festivals, oh, no. fundraisers. Got it. Very cool. All right. Well, let's take a time out from all that. Three fun questions. And uh, I know you know kind of what they are, but not totally. So uh, hopefully I don't put you too much on the spot. Are you ready? Yes. What is one skill you don't possess today that you wish you did? So just so you know, this is my least favorite of your questions. <laughs> <laughs> but if I have to give you an answer, I am going to say patience. Patience is a skill that I know I need to work on. Um, I do feel, though, that being somewhat impatient helps me as a broker because I'm always wanting to make up that call and, and get the deal done. But at the same time, if you're too eager, it looks bad to the other side. So I, I have a tip I can share, if that's okay. Share away. Fantastic. So I learned about this a couple of years ago and it has helped me out dramatically. There are fantastic technological devices out there. And this one in particular is when I use um, on a specific instance when I do not want the other side to know that I'm impatient. And what you can do is you can hook your email up for trackers. So you know when someone is reading your email. There's been so many times where I'm waiting for that LOI response and I just do not do anything. And I get a tracker that says, hey, this person's looking at your email. 
and that calms me down. And then I just sit back and do nothing. And then within 10 minutes, I get my LOI counter. So that's my that's my trick to helping out anybody that's impatient like me. Got it. Well, thank you for sharing. I would say, I would say your impatience has probably led to the success that you've had. And what you know, Gary Vaynerchuk says, and I think he describes it pretty well if you're familiar with him. He's a social media influencer who owns a media company. He says, micro speed, macro patience. So in the in in this in the in the short duration things, you have to move fast, you have to be a patient, you gotta make it happen. But for the big, for the big things that everyone knows take a long time and a lot of hard work, those things you have to be patient and keep plugging along and and, and sometimes bide your time. And I and, and whether you is not everyone agrees with that. I, I think it's interesting. I think it's a good way to categorize it because I do think in some regards being impatient has led a lot of people to success because uh, you know those who sit around and wait, you know, typically miss the opportunities. I agree. So micro speed, macro patience. Question yes. two. Yes. What is when is the last time you did something for the first time? This year, actually, I have become the president of Acre, which is a fantastic organization, and it is focused on retail in Southern California, and it's a networking organization, and uh, we put on events throughout the year, and it's a fantastic opportunity for people to learn and network. And uh, this year, I have the privilege of being president of the organization, and this is the first time I have ever been president of a nonprofit organization. Very cool. I love that. Last question. What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? This one, I do not know if everybody doesn't agree with me, but I'm sure I have my followers out there that either do or don't. And it has to do with uh, Uber, uh, where they the food delivery. I just do not believe in that. If I, I know DoorDash, none of that for me. If I want food, I'm going to go out. I'm going to get it myself. I'm going to enjoy the restaurant experience, the million dollar TI that that owner put in. I want to see it and I want to eat there and I want to enjoy my food at the restaurant. Okay. I love it. So is that all of it? Like, you know, you're never ordering pizza on like a Friday night, nothing like that? I will do pizza. That's it. Pizza can okay. be delivered to my house, but I stop there. You stop there. All right. All right. Listen, I'm not complaining. I love people going out and shopping, but I'd be lying to say that if we don't have some uh, door that show up at my house from time to time. Okay. Southern California, Inland Empire. What's going on out there? Tell me about what's going on in the retail market. I, I'm looking at right now the Inland Empire employment likely to exceed Orange County. So that's one thing I'm looking at that this was sent by Proxy to me in the newsletter, <laughs> uh, having right front and center. Uh, even though we don't own anything in the Inland Empire, but I still, or in California for that matter, but I, I got this. Uh, it's still very insightful information. Uh, what's going on, Sunco? In regards to leasing, it is still very, very strong, specifically for 
good real estate and second generation opportunities. There are a lot of tenants out there that are just looking for the second generation. Several of them have done new construction before and just will not do it again. So for good spaces, they lease quick. Someone once told me, I'm curious if you agree with this. I'm not telling you if I agree or don't. Someone once told me, there's no such thing as bad real estate, only bad price. I'm bringing it up because you brought up the word good real estate. Do you believe that? There's no such thing as bad real estate, only bad price. I, I often think about that because you will sometimes hear about the, the tenant that has the not a good location and they're just knocking it out of the park. But I think the reason why I mentioned good real estate is because I also feel that our industry has set up certain standards. And in order to get past that real estate gatekeeper, you have to match a majority of the items on their list most of the time. Now, there's exceptions. I'm just talking about generalities with good real estate. Sure. I only bring it up because we use, I, I think about some of these things from time to time and people bring up things like so qualitative, good real estate. And I go, well, it's good. And, and oftentimes here's the reality. What is good for one user might not be for the other. The, some people, the markets that they want to be in are different. Some people, the types of real estate they're in, some people, need a physical location, they don't need to be front and center. They, they, and, and so they'd rather pay less in, in, in the back. There was a tenant long ago who was like, Chris, here's where we are. We're C real estate in A markets. Want to be in the best market? I want to pay the best price. I want to be in the C real estate in the A market. As long as I'm in that market, I'll succeed. Put me in the C real estate because I need to access the A consumer, but I don't need to be front and center. They're going to find me because of what I do. And I was like, oh, that's very interesting. And a market C real estate. So, uh, yeah, I was curious just what you thought. There's no such thing as bad real estate, only bad price. I would say I'm not sure that I, 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 I need absolutes. I'm not sure that uh, there's probably such a thing as quote unquote bad real estate out there, but there's a lot of truth to that. At the right price, a lot of people can make certain real estate work. Yes. So, um, obviously that, uh, so leasing activity is good in Southern California. Uh, in the in the Inland Empire. Anything else going on? Anything interesting that worthy of note about the Inland Empire and retail real estate? I think in general, um, it's just important to note that, um, you know, we're not LA, we're not Orange County. There's this huge market of people that sometimes people just don't pay attention to. When I call on a lot of retailers, a lot of times they just say, we're not ready yet for the Inland Empire. They know about the Inland Empire, but a lot of times they comment of, we're not ready yet. So I feel that, um, you know, eventually everybody is going to be there. A lot of retailers are already here and um, it's just a, a market that a lot of people should definitely give a, a second look at if they're not, if it's not currently on their radar. Give everyone, ground everybody. How big is the Inland Empire? So the Inland Empire is huge. Um, San Bernardino County is the, the largest county. Uh, we have millions of people 
and it's you know not nothing like la density is nothing like la whatsoever but there's a lot of people here there's a lot of people that have a lot of money um a lot of the cities in la county have you know anywhere from i'm sorry in, in the inland empire have anywhere from a hundred thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand average household income so it's it's not it's it's definitely a market that should not be dismissed uh, a lot of people have money here to spend and and there's a good sizable amount of people great uh yeah i think it's a good market listen i've worked in markets my whole life retailers have said we're not ready for that you know we we want we we want someone to we've owned the property in some challenging markets over the years and and uh we've owned property in markets that we're secondary and tertiary and you know one of the things that's interesting is a lot of times once the retailer opens up in their market i, I often get like wow i wish we opened here sooner we're crushing it uh we're doing the same sales as we're doing in x place but the cost in those markets are typically less than some major cities so uh i've heard the same no's before keep at it Roxy. they'll come for sure, for sure. Uh, okay. So you, like you mentioned, you have a story about a deal. What's yes. The, what's the name of the store? What's the name of the deal? Give us a story. Okay. Well, the deal um, it has to do with a, a building that I just started leasing of when I started at Progressive Real Estate Partners back in 2019, and this is a new construction building. Um, some of my colleagues were working on it before, and it was kind of like a, oh, a hand-me-down type listing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was I was very excited about the property, though. I, I was happy to have the opportunity. Get us grounded. Where are we? Are okay. we in Hawaii? Where are we? <laughs> we are in a city called Laverne, which is actually in L.A. County it is in the western san gabriel valley area okay not 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 a large city but you know it's it, it has a decent sized population high incomes uh the property is on foothill boulevard which is a major thoroughfare and uh, the property has a lot of attributes to it in regards to um theoretically it shouldn't be difficult to lease Theoretically, okay. <laughs> so, uh, uh, number one issue in regards to this property is that the landlord, the owner, also owns the restaurant that is existing in the property. So, this was a, a property that had some excess land. The owner decided to build a multi tenant building and, um, now the issue that we have is he says, hey, Roxy, we have to be really careful of any tenant for parking. I don't want any tenant to interfere with my parking as a restaurant owner. And I really don't want any food here because I, I don't want anyone to compete with my business. Okay. I understand where it's coming from. <laughs> so, so but, but so, and I think I, I have some, I'm picking up what you're throwing down, picking up what you're throwing down, but I would say if, if he's so mindful of what he want, wants from the leasing, I, he's probably 
not concerned on some of the other issues that typically come up if you're a broker with a landlord. Maybe, I'm just guessing, maybe he, and he understands from the user, maybe he's a little more flexible on TI because he knows that he's looking for a particular tenant. Maybe not, I'm guessing, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe he's a little more flexible on some other things since he knows that he wants to be patient and wait for the right user. And I do need to preface that I really do like this landlord. He's great to to work with. Oh, and okay, we're, I, I, we're not positioning him as a top landlord. Trust me. <laughs> okay, so twenty, so twenty nineteen, I start on this, and I I get an offer from a swim school to take about seventy five percent of the building. How big was the building? Any building? The, the building's about eight thousand five hundred square feet. And it is built, right? So he built it on stack? Yes. Oh, boy. We negotiate the offer with the swim school. We execute a lease. It is contingent on a CUP. The tenant gets Hold on, time out. Just yes. for everyone who doesn't know, because it's different terminology everywhere. What's a CUP? Conditional use permit. A hearing's involved, a lot of money's involved, not easy to obtain. A lot of times um, when that type of use that requires the CUP is needed, some landlords don't even want to mess around with it. So I, I've been involved in getting additional uh, use permits. Let me ask you a question. Yes. Did this permit, was it indefinite or did it have to renew annually? Oh, that's a really good question. So, so that this is the problem sometimes. Sometimes it's usually non-confrontational, but one of the risks for the conditional use permit, one of the reasons that like I get a little leery is a lot of municipalities make you renew it on a pretty frequent basis. And so then you're like wondering, what if you signed the lease, you spent the money, the retailer spent this money, what if they don't get, what if they don't renew it in a year? Whatever, whatever your time frame is. So conditional use permits, you definitely need to know all your details. They're different from municipality to municipality, but you needed a conditional use permit. That's why it's, it's nice to get a total unconditional. Usually when it's conditional, it means you can use it conditioned on this. Usually one of the conditions is renewing it from time to time. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I went to the hearing, was very happy that it got approved. And, you know, at that point, I just figured, oh, you know, only have 25% left of the building, building to lease. This should be easy. <laughs> and a uh, couple days later, COVID hits. Oh, my God. And the tenant had a couple days left on their contingency period. And they approached the landlord and they just say, we want out. We have no idea what this COVID is. We don't want to have to worry about our personal guarantee. We have a couple days left. We want out. And the landlord says, you know, I understand. I'll work with you. Let's just sit tight and see what happens. So we sat tight and uh, got to the point where the tenant says, it's going to cost me about a half a million dollars to do this build out. I can't jeopardize that money. I just really want out. So we refunded the tenant, their security deposit. Everything was done to void the lease, 
time for Roxy to get back to work. Oh my God. <laughs> Meanwhile, of course, I have been working on the the small space that was available, but I haven't been marketing the entire space because of the, the lease that was signed and everything. So um, moving forward now, we have an offer from a dentist who themselves is going to take up about 30% of the building. So, you know, not as quite as good as before, but definitely what landlord doesn't want a dentist. It's a good use for sure. Yes. So we did the deal with the dentist. Lease was signed. The next day, somehow the swim school use was made essential. The broker from the swim school calls me back and says, we're back in. We want our deal back. Oh, my goodness. And I say, well, you know, we don't have the square footage we had before. You know, we, we have less square footage. Can you make it work? with what we have and they couldn't so i i moved i moved on we did the, the dentist opened uh we leased another space to uh, a cpa that has been in the area for a long time and last space working on it I have interest from a orthodontist first thing i do is go through the lease from the dentist and since it was such a small building, we gave the dentist somewhat of a generous lease that would include all dental practices. We go to the dentist. He was super nice. He said, yeah, no problem. We'll go ahead and uh, let you can do the deal with the, with the orthodontist. We just want a little higher ranking on our sign position on the monument. Uh, but but no, no worries. To the deal with the orthodontist, and, and now it's fully leased. Excellent. What a good story, I, I have to say. Uh, good story. It'll probably be called like Dentist in Laverne, California, the episode title, but uh, it'll because we usually call it one story, but it is a good story for the uh, how this all came together. Uh, thank you for sharing. Of course. What Any takeaways you took? What, what are some things you took away from that? Because I think it's a really interesting story. Definitely how deals can change. And I noticed that a lot during COVID in regards to uh, retailers changing their mind. But at the same time, I also learned that there's other fish in the sea. And not to you know let one hindrance interfere with the ultimate goals. Yeah, I, I think when in when there's massive crisis, whether that's like an event like COVID or something less dramatic, maybe the GFC, whatever it might be, and not that the GFC was not dramatic, it just wasn't the, the didn't have the act, you know, the medical implications that uh, the COVID had. But we have these like massive economic crises. One of the things that happens is like whatever the contract is, whether it's your contract with your cell phone provider, your contract with your gym, a contract with the lease, it's the it's like the contract that's thrown out the door and people are starting over or push the envelope to, to start over. And at that point in time, 
one of the things that really comes into play is like all the groundwork that you did prior. Did you get lucky or did you work hard and like set the foundation, create a contingency plan? Do you have a network and relationships to help you through some of this? Because uh, it's usually a rocky road. And I learned that both in the GFCN and COVID. Uh, so uh, really interesting. And I am, I, I thought the story was going that you were going to get the, the, the swim school to take the balance of the space. If they wanted 75% in space, and then you brought them to 70, after all that, they would need a sign lease. They got CUP. I would have thought they would have, they would have jumped on that. Uh, I was surprised. I thought that's where the story was going. So, yep, no, but, uh, you know, got got me back, uh, you know, just in, in the realm that you never know what's going to happen. And that's what I love so much about our industry is is every day is different. For sure. The. Is that I imagine the owner's going to keep that building. He's not going to sell it once it's leased, I imagine. He doesn't have intentions of selling it at this yeah, point. I imagine that's typical for the, the owner operator. Well. Uh, really interesting. Why? I, I'm curious. Why did he decide to build the building? He just had land and thought it would be good. Most restaurant owners would do that. Yeah, that's a really good question, and um, I really don't know the exact answer because I wasn't working at the firm during that time of that whole where it came about. But if I had to speculate, knowing this owner, he he knew he had land, and he knew his land was fronting Foothill Boulevard and he figured, you know, if you build it, they will come type of motto. Got it. Well, good for him. Uh, good for you. Great story. Thank you for sharing. Okay. Take us to the last part of the show. Pulse Retail Wisdom. Ready, Roxy? Yes. All right. Question one. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? I really wish Sue Plantation would. I went to Sioux Plantation very frequently when I was a child. Fantastic memories. They have fan they had fantastic chicken noodle soup. There's really nowhere you could go to get chicken noodle soup as good as Sioux Plantations. And uh, it was a it was a shame that uh, unfortunately COVID wiped them out. Got it. Good one. Question two. What is the last item over twenty dollars you bought in a store? My glasses. I went to Warby Parker. Uh, you know, you've been hearing about Warby Parker, and I figured, let me try them out. And I was very impressed. I thought the optometrist that I saw there was fantastic. Their prices are phenomenal. I have very bad vision, and their their prices are extremely fair. I would I would recommend Warby Parker to anybody like me that can't see. Got it. Last question. If you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you? I would probably be in the candy aisle. Although I'm not in the candy business anymore, I still enjoy looking at the, the new products and uh, buying sweets to enjoy every now and then. Got it. Any, just to go back to that, any candy that you guys like made or that, that, like any one product that was a big hit that it's just a big hit that you guys were like, wow, I can't believe this. So we had some unusual products 
they um, were a little bit on the the weird angle, and uh, we we did sell one of them to uh, It's Sugar, and uh, that ended up in all of their locations. And oh. we also sold a, a a lot of products to Think Geek. We we came up with products specifically for them, and uh, and did products uh, just for Think Geek. Wow. What product was it? Sugar. <laughs> uh, it was something I need to just say that I didn't come up with this one. My dad came up with this one, so I don't want a whole bunch of people. I don't want a whole bunch of people giving me a hard time because this one was not my idea. But what it was, it uh, was a urine sesame container filled with uh, yellow liquid. And it's oh yeah, it, it it was it was pretty disgusting. But uh, hey, if people are gonna buy it and give you money, you're not gonna hey. complain. Oh my god, <laughs> uh, that that might be the clip on the the first part of the episode. <laughs> that is amazing. And what was the name of this candy company? So the product was called Sandy Candy, and the candy company was called Can You Imagine That? Awesome. All right. Well, Roxy, this was super insightful. It was great to finally meet you. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.